Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Australian Open Round 1 catch-up. Djokovic is tested like never before by teenage qualifier. Garcia gets the better of Naomi Osaka. And Andy Murray plays what could be his final match in Australia. Chris, today is the 16th of January and we are here to catch up on round one of the Australian Open at Tennis Weekly HQ. A historic round one for that matter because we had a Sunday start, the first ever Sunday start at the Australian Open. Three days of round one matches. I am exhausted already, but also a little bit jealous because I know the weather out there has been a little bit extreme at times, but the heat, it does look like an environment I would like to be in when I look outside and it is very, very chilly uh, in London at the moment. I mean, we have snow in Copenhagen right now. So (laughs) at the moment, I think it's Wednesday and I'm very confused about the temperature because I'm seeing 31. I'm feeling minus 10. I mean, Casper Ruud said in an interview, it was minus 20 back home. So I feel like he's got the biggest extreme difference uh, to go, I guess, from getting on a plane to the heat of Melbourne. Indoor tennis only, I think, in Oslo, and then (laughs) very much outdoor. (laughs) Indoor Um, tennis all year round. Yeah, I mean, it could be too hot in Australia. They might have to close the roof, (laughs) so it could be indoors wherever he goes. Well, we're going to be chatting all about round one in this episode. We're also going to be unveiling our collector set player pick predictions as well. We have good news, Joel, don't we? I know we do. We're going to tease that. We're going to try not to gloat. We're keeping it under wraps. Uh, But yes, we have have an opportunity to gloat over Kim, need I say more. But uh, before we do get into all of that, we do need to talk about, first of all, the fact that it is... Um, a historic start it's a Sunday start but there's also been some new rules that have been in place um, at the Australian Open for fans this year you know we're a fan podcast at heart we want to talk about these fan rules that are affecting the crowds in Melbourne Park and that is that crowds are allowed to enter after each game so you don't have there's no waiting around until um, you know players sit down and then you can find your seat you can move after each game and it's it's divided opinion, hasn't it? It has. I think when I kind of first heard it, I thought this can't be real because it seemed to kind of slip under the radar for a lot of yeah, us. Yeah, where was this? This should have been breaking news. Well, apparently when Stan queried it, um, it was confirmed that it was in an email that was <laughs> sent out prior to the <laughs> tournament. So clearly we're not on that mailing list. But I mean, it is quite shocking because... There's not much time, I always think. Um, and that's the reason why they do it, because then there's enough time for fans to get into the stand, find their seat, take their seat and not interrupt the players or cause a commotion. Because even with um, some of those rules that are in place where it is only um, every second game or odd number of games, sometimes you see people who are nowhere near their seats in these big arenas. So personally, I think it, it doesn't really make sense. I understand you want to get fans onto the court, But I guess you have to have some sort of consistency because it just felt like it was chaos on day one. Yeah, it's tricky. I do... I know the, the, the Australian Open kind of market themselves as like the, the happy slam. And I do think they do a lot uh, for the fan experience. And maybe this is part of that thinking that they want to give fans um, you know as much of an opportunity to get on court and not miss any sort of tennis. But at the same time, I do think they've got to put the players into this thinking as well. And it's, in, it's been interesting to, as I say, kind of hear some of the opinions out there. I mean, Djokovic... I mean, he's he, you know, in his match, he was kind of a bit annoyed by the the noise and the movement of the crowd, and he actually lodged a complaint, you know, with the umpire requesting them to kind of ma- maintain silence during active play. Do you sort of sympathise with the the players from from that perspective, or do you think they should be able to just get on with it? Well, I mean, I'm always kind of a little bit on the side um, that the players have it a bit too good. 
Um, I think it's been a while since Djokovic has, you know, been out in the mm. kind of out in the, I guess, in uh, the grounds of, of slams. Because, you know, if you're out on court five or six at Wimbledon, yeah. I mean, people are constantly streaming past you and there's there's no reason to complain. That's just how it is. If you're at the US Open, I mean, it's relentless chatter if you're on a big court. And if you're on an outside court, people can come and go pretty much as they please without kind of the stewards being there. So... I think there's probably when people do complain about these things, there's something else that's bothering them um, because ultimately you should be able to play through these sorts of things. And maybe it's other frustrations kind of bubbling over, such as, you know, Jordan Thompson. I think he said it's the wokest tournament ever. Yeah, um, I saw those comments. I was, I yeah. was a bit surprised. He's normally quite a measured guy. I thought, yeah, I thought this came out of completely, completely out of nowhere. It did seem a bit left field because obviously, I mean, if his ranking does drop, he might be looking for one of those wild cards mm. um, from Australian yeah. tennis. But I mean... I think we'll, they'll see how it goes. I think it's nice that they're kind of having a test of it, but I just think a slam might not be the best place for that. Maybe start at the next-gen finals. And I mean, let's just talk very quickly about the Sunday start. What did you What did you make of it? Because it's great, I guess, in the sense that I, I actually personally like seeing more tennis on the weekend outside of you know working hours. It's great to get kind of fans down. From the tournament organizer point of view, it no doubt makes sense for sponsors and and money and and finances. But I still think from a scheduling point of view, we were left in the same situation. Play still went on very, very late. Um, You know, team FAA finished at 0140 local hours. So it didn't feel like it really did the job that it it was there to do in the first place. Yeah, and it was just kind of the... that Sabalenka didn't go on um, until... I think it was 11.30. Yeah, um, that's not th- right for a defending champion, is it? It doesn't feel right, um, especially on a Sunday, because, I mean, I'm, Sunday is still I means a working day the next day, so yeah. it's not like it's a Saturday night. Who was night. watching that? Yeah. There weren't that many people there, and I think she said she's very appreciative of the people that did stay. I do just think this is Craig Tilly once again at it with the fact he's saying that this is going to be something that will combat these 4.30 a.m. finishes and these kind of crazy finishes that we had. Um, over the years. I mean, obviously, there have been some mad ones with Murray last year, and this was welcomed as a positive initiative. But I mean, when you have kind of already such late finishes, sure, they don't begin with a four, they begin with a one. Um, but it really it is very reliant still on the fact that some of these other matches aren't going long. I mean, Sabalenka got that first set done in something like 22 minutes. Um, and you can't rely on that at these stages of tournaments. And you can't be playing that late from the Sunday start. I mean, if you look at the French, for example, they have a very limited schedule. There was a limited schedule here. So it's clear it's not about kind of spreading the schedule. It's much more about making it more of an event, selling more tickets. Um, and ultimately... That's good for people coming on the Sunday. But if you did have an evening session ticket, you want people to be able to stay and enjoy the evening session. And that kind of defeats the purpose of making it the happy fan slam. The ATP and WTA have come out with some united rules um, in the build-up to the Australian Open, talking about the fact that uh, the events on the tour, so not, not necessarily the Grand Slams, but the events on the tour, they've come out and said there will be no more than five matches per day per court with an 11 a.m. start with three matches during the day session and two matches during the evening session as some, some rules and, and guidance for tournaments. So it's nice to see that being implemented, um, You know, taking into account... Uh, you know, players and, you know, not having them come on at the most ridiculous times. But I guess it still doesn't really answer, you know, the question for Grand Slams. And uh, it's still like a, a tricky thing, I think, to to manage. But I'm slightly wary that I think the conditions here, the ball that is being used, we have had a lot of five setters, haven't we? Um, you know, in this, in the, in round one already, 19 in total have gone to the deciding set. I mean, it's not, it's. It, I feel like it's not just um, you know the scheduling. I think there's other factors at play, and it's the court, it's the the atmosphere in terms of the weather and the balls. I think are also meaning that like matches are just naturally taking a lot longer. I think to complete. Yeah, you'd have to think about kind of switching the ball. It's just making an even bigger case for it with the fact that these matches are going so long mm. um, and there are sort of these matches going on so late. But that's what's good about this new policy from the WTA and ATP that if a match has not been put onto a court by 10.30, it can be moved to an alternative court. Um, and that's by no later than 11 p.m. So that's something that I think is really good because what that means is that people are able to still get their matches played 
um, and on court. And I think that's the positive thing when you look at this, that at least these matches do get done at the Australian Open. Whereas if this was Wimbledon, there would be a curfew and they'd be coming back tomorrow. So it depends, you know, do you want to lie in the next day? I'm well, sure they don't s- lie in, but... I was going to say, I mean, an- another rule they're bringing in is no matches to go on court after 11pm. I don't think we- the Madrid Open is going to be transformed by this, I swear. Surely this can't apply um, <laughs> because it's different time zones. It's, it's, um, it's Spanish time. That's different. <laughs> Well, I mean, let's move on and talk about all the action we've had over the first three days, starting uh, with what we've seen today, uh, day three. On the main courts today, we've had wins for Holger Rune, Carlos Alcaraz, Kasper Ruud, uh, Victoria Azarenka, Jesse Pegula and Grigor Dimitrov. I mean, we had some tough, tough, tough straight sets wins, I would say, for Sviantec against Sofia Kenin, who won 7-6, 6-2. And then Rabakina against Pliskova, uh, seven six six four. Were you impressed with the the manner of those those victories by Shvontek and Rabakina, given the the caliber of their opponents? Yeah, I think getting through a first round against a, a tricky player um, is always something you should be very pleased with. I mm. think getting the win is what matters. Putting yourself in situations where you can go deeper into the tournament. I think before the tournament, um, Pagula was asked this question, and she said, "Well, when you start." You go round by round and you hope to make it a second week. When you make it a second week, you hope to make it further. Um, and I think that's very much how a lot of these players sort of start tournaments. They think with that attitude, um, you can only play the player in front of you at the start. And then hopefully Iga didn't take too much notice of the draw because it doesn't get much easier in round two with Collins. But um, I was impressed with Iga coming through that. And I think the nature of when you do get a tight set and then you pull through and keep that momentum, I think that is very positive. Um, and having a test early isn't a bad thing. I think Rebecca got very lucky. She was three set points down in that first set, and it looked like she was probably going to lose yeah, that she one. She nicked it. Yeah, she really did. Um, but I mean, on serve, she did do really well. Um, I mean, she was only broken once. One break point faced was broken once, um, and she won seventy-seven percent of points on the second serve and seventy-four percent on the first serve. So, I mean, it was a bit of a serving masterclass, really, um, from her in that sense. And um, good for her to get a test. We did see her um, in Adelaide where she kind of went out quite um, well without putting up too much of a fight against Alexandra Versa. It's good yes. to see that she's brought <laughs> the same tennis that she played in Brisbane to um, Melbourne with her. Exactly. And I mean, on the men's side, we had Alcaraz defeat Gasquet in straight sets. A little bit of rust, I would say, in that first set. Gasquet threatened to to take to take that first set. Um, but yeah, Alcaraz getting it done very comfortably in the end. I mean, a lot of the talk, Chris, has been around uh, Sasha Zverev over the last couple of days. Um, he defeated uh, Dominic Kupfer of, of Germany in, in four sets, 4-6, 6-3, 7-6, But Let's be honest, that match is not really the talking point when it comes to to Zverev at the moment because it's been announced that he's going to be facing a trial uh, during this year's French Open over the uh, lingering domestic abuse allegations that have just kind of been following him forever and ever and ever, um, it seems. Um, That hearing, we've been told, is going to start on the 31st of May. Zverev doesn't have to be there um, in in person. But um, yeah, this is not... This is not ideal news, I feel, going into the Australian Open. If you're, you know, Sasha Zverev, who is on the ATP Player Council as well. And um, it's just been very fascinating to see, I guess, how players have reacted to it. And everyone in the stadium has been reacting to it as well, because it doesn't feel like anyone is really giving an opinion on it. Yeah, and I think it's something where this has not been kind of as widely publicised until the last couple of days. Mm. I think it's something where... Even people who I know who are into tennis are shocked when I tell them about the previous accusations that have been made, as well as the fact that kind of a penalty order was given. And this is actually because of um, a challenge to that, an objection against the order, which means that um, he is going to a trial, but it does mean he's um, legally innocent and not convicted until the final ruling. But the fact that it was given that penalty order meant that the judge felt there was enough evidence that it didn't need to go to trial. So it's a bit more serious than just kind of innocent until proven guilty in this sense. Um, and I think that something that really is a problem is that when you see um, Sasha Zverev being put onto the ATP Player Council and when you ask the players and the players were asked about this, which I think is perfectly fair, um, especially in these press conferences, um, and Grigor Dimitrov, who's also on the Player Council, was asked about this and whether he thought this was kind of the right thing for him to be serving on the Player Council... Um, as he's literally just been elected, but this is after the penalty order. So it is very surprising for a lot of people. Um, Dimitrov said it was the first that he'd heard of it. 
And there were a lot of similar statements of people who said that from Sitsipas, for example, who said he doesn't know the situation, he's unfamiliar and has nothing to comment on, which I think if you don't want to comment on it because you aren't aware of what's going on, I think that's fine. But I do think they should make it clear that they do very much um, have a firm stance against mm. domestic abuse in this case. And this is not something that should be taken lightly um, without having to come down on either sides. And I mean, pretty much everybody um, on the male side didn't say anything um, about it. They said they weren't aware of it. Um, whereas the world number one, Iga Sriontek, who we've already talked about, um, I thought she gave a brilliant answer on this. Um, and she said that um, there's no kind of good answer to that. I think it's up to the ATP um, and what they decide. For sure, uh, it's not good when a player who's facing charges like that is kind of being promoted. And I think that's something that we can all agree on irrespective of um, what what is to come at this point is that it's not a good look if someone is facing a trial for um, domestic and physical abuse um, allegations to be promoted so heavily and for this not to be part of the narrative that's currently going on because um, it feels like it was silenced for a long time and that now I think people need to consider this when they think of Sasha Zverev. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because, you know, from, from Zara's point of view, he was asked about it and, and he just kind of point blankly said, why would it not be? He thinks it's completely okay, you know, for him to be on the on the player council. And uh I guess, you know, there will be fans out there who probably will say something along the lines of innocent until proven guilty. So he should be able to kind of be on these things but there's certainly I think a, a, a balance there and um, I think it's it's interesting to see how uh, say the players are giving very limited kind of reactions that saying they're not aware or, or whatever it is when this has been going on so long it's like how can you not be kind of aware of it and say given his kind of promotion I think to, to the player council yeah it's certainly a a tricky spot that isn't going anywhere and um, it could get even more farcical I guess come the French Open and you know he's had very good runs there you know previously getting to you know semi-finals it, it could get even sillier I think yeah I mean I would say there's nothing really kind of silly about this I think it's less about the ATP player counts I think it's more about the fact that um, someone who is has multiple claims against them there's been no action taken by the ATP previously they said there was insufficient evidence from a separate woman who had claims of um, physical abuse um, and so I think it's a case where they said if there was more, more things came to light, they would investigate again. Um, and so I think there's a lot of people who are looking at the ATP to come out with something. And I think probably they're going to wait until the result, which I think a lot of people will agree with. Some people will disagree with. Um, but I think there'll be some, I mean, it will make it for a very, I mean, interesting, we should say, and we've been using that word a lot, but it will make for a very dramatic um, and probably highly, um, highly explosive um, French mm. Open first week because he could be summoned to the court as well. There is a chance that could happen as well in the later proceedings, um, which would be during Wimbledon. So, I mean, there's um, a lot that w- lot to come. But right now, we have to stress that he is innocent until proven guilty, and he is very much still in the tournament. Well, back to the tennis, and we had Kokinakis and Tom Janovic as well. I enjoyed seeing their victories because Tom Janovic, um, you know, she pulled out I feel like on the eve of the tournament last year um, she was 4-1 down against Martic uh, late at night came through in three sets and Kokinakis against Offner um, won in a final set tie break um, we, will, we will remember him losing that epic to, to Andy Murray uh, last year so to him to get a five set victory at Melbourne yeah the emotions I just can't imagine uh, that they were going through another player who would have been going I think through the same emotions was Emma Raducanu who was on the court today against Shelby Rogers that was a straight sets victory for Raducanu I feel like both of these players have had long-term injuries to kind of deal with in in the past but Raducanu coming through 6-3 6-2 Chris what did you make of of the Raducanu return to the Grand Slam stage at the Australian Open and 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 the performance she put in against someone as experienced um, as, as Shelby Rogers I thought she put in a very assured performance I thought it was confident I thought she seemed relaxed out there I think she did play a little bit within herself um it wasn't the same sort of US Open kind of go for broke tennis um, where everything she seemed to hit went in. I think it was very, very measured. Um, and I mean, she's got to be happy with that because, mm. you know, it's her first Grand Slam back. She said it definitely does make it um, a little bit extra sweet. Um, and in the next round, she's got a really good draw. So I think it's... Um, yeah, the draw's opening up for Castella lost. I mean, we could even potentially have a Battle of the Brits, Bolter 
versus Raducanu in in round three. Um, it's it it's could, very exciting. Potentially, potentially could be on. Um, but I think in terms of like a performance, I mean, I'm not sure you could ask for much more because I mean, Shelby mm. Rogers is a good player, but she hasn't played since last year's Wimbledon. So it's almost like a dream first round draw because I mean, this was her first match back on a tennis court in such a long period of time. Um, whereas kind of Raducanu has probably been playing a lot more tennis than Shelby has recently. So um, good to get the win and hard to, hard to gauge really, you know, just how high the level can go. Um, but I mean, I think a lot of people are hoping um, that we'll see her play against, uh, I think it's Quinn Wenjang, could be potentially an mm. opponent if it isn't Katie Boulter and if yeah. she does make it through. Um, but obviously we're looking ahead in the draw. You know when we do that. We're, <laughs> we're kind too of just, excited. We're, yeah, too, we're excited. too excited. We know we, we should know that with Raducanu, you just got to take it one one match at a time. But it was a very, very, very good performance. Another Brit who put in a very good performance was Jack Draper, who won his first ever five-set match uh, against Marcos Giron of the United States. Chris, this was a this was a wild ride. Ended in him vomiting into a bin. Uh, very, very, very classy. Yeah, technical had to do term. <laughs> vomiting. Vomiting into it. He had to do the handshake very, very quickly and then went to a bin on the side of the court um, because he wasn't feeling great. But uh, a very good victory, I think, for Jack Draper, given all the exertions he had to put in the week before. Um, then coming to this... In the brutal heat of the day, let's, it's got to be said, on the verge of defeat when there's lots of expectation and pressure on you, to pull it out the bag and win in five sets, that was that was pretty remarkable. Yeah, and I think what um, I was really impressed by was the fact that he did talk about it being more of the, the mental struggle, um, the psychological stress today uh, that was called, causing fatigue rather than just the physical nature of the match. Um, mm. Because he said he felt better in the fifth set than I did in the first. And you have to think that... I mean, I mean the it, set score lines. It looked like, yeah, like it, they, yes, it went to five sets, but the more that match went on, you did feel like Draper was getting stronger and stronger. Yeah, I mean, even through a bagel in, in that um, fourth set, um, but he did go down. Um, well, he did go down two sets to one. So it's not a two sets to love defeat that he overturned, mm. but it does show a real strength of character and a real sort of shift in him physically. And I think a lot of people were saying, oh, is it a sign that physically he isn't there? And I, I really don't think it is that because, I mean, if you look at the score line, it's not like he sort of crawled over the finish line there. He actually accelerated towards the finish. And uh, the only question I would have is that I've never seen that many people <laughs> throw up from psychological stress. I feel like maybe it was the relief <laughs> of, of the exertion, but either way... Um, I think I think it's great that he got through and a lot of people thought, you know, on the back of having such a good and deep run last week that maybe this would mean a first round or early exit. So, I mean, getting a win is a big relief. That image at the end, as I say, I think to me that was like, this is this is why you shouldn't play the tournament the week before before a Grand Slam. You think because, that's what happens? Inevitable. Well, you saw it coming. I just think you're, you're temp- almost like you're tempting fate and... Um, regardless of you know it, it's it might be seen as an easier opportunity to win your your first tour title if you harbor hopes and ambitions of going deep in a grand slam uh i'm not i'm just i'm not sure with with your rankings are important though you know you've got to yeah. get the ranking yeah. points get yourself into some of those so higher to tournaments you, and also sure. you don't know how you're going to do and that's why i think we've, we've seen mm. so many of the top players if they do play them they do withdraw or they do as i've said multiple times we're back in where she just didn't <laughs> turn up and just hopped on a plane um but no, in terms of this this result for jack you have to think that i mean he's going to be aiming to have a deep run here despite that very much and then also looking towards the rest of the season I mean he's really come out firing making the final of his last two uh, two tournaments he's played and getting a win down under um, if he can recover both physically and mentally before his next round I mean he's got the firepower that he can potentially make matches short if he's playing well and maybe we'll see him kind of go even more aggressive um, because that's what he needs to do if he's not Well fitting. we have the bin next to next to his chair uh, in the next match as opposed oh, to on I the just, side. I just feel gonna, bad. Is it going to be preemptive you know, now? I just feel bad because, you know, this is, should be like Jack fights back. Instead, it's Jack throws up in bin <laughs> and you're like... Oh. It happens, you know. It happens to everyone, and I and I remember watching Andy Sinner. Murray. Sinner did it last year. Yes, Yannick Sinner, and and I remember Andy Murray going through his his formative ages and it's a mark uh, of a champion. 
Yeah, against I think it was Andre Pavel at the US Open. I remember Ooh. watching it at like three AM, three AM in my family home, and uh, yeah, he uh, he did it during the match, and uh, the camera had to quickly kind of cut away. So uh, it happens to the best. It happens to the best. Is all no I can one say. saw Jack. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> it's not all across every single media publication out there. I mean, there were great wins as well for Arthur Feast, Yuri Lehechka. Uh, Trevor what about, San what about Sloane well? Stevens from the day before? I Sloane wanted to bring it up. Stevens against her Gideshki. First, her mm. first win down under since 2019. And I just thought, amazing. I was reading some comments on social media around, I think, the... the 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 hotel the hotel staff will be surprised she's uh, staying I think, for I think a few people, more days. Yeah, I think people thought that maybe you know she only booked it for the first couple of nights and <laughs> might have to try and get another hotel. But I mean, I'm looking forward to Kasakina versus Sloane Stevens in the next round. Mm, I think there are going to be chances. Going to be chances. Tasting. Okay, okay. Well, I'll I'll hold you to that, and we'll we'll see how that goes. But Chris, one other player I want to talk about on day three is Sumit Nagal from India. This is just an incredible story. First Indian man in 35 years to beat a seed at a Grand Slam. Incredible result against Alexander Bublik. I mean, it's quite fascinating, actually. Of the 32 seeds at the Australian Open, 30 of them won. Alexander Bublik wasn't one of them. And uh, yeah, Nagal is a player who he's talked about his financial struggles on, on social media. I mean, he had... I think you know he tweeted the fact that he only had 775 quid in his his bank account. That's um, a bit more than you, Joel. So no, I mean, no, what's I he know, complaining no, about? Exactly. Uh, earlier than this year, and now you know he's just pocketed 95,000 pounds, which is incredible. But it's just so great, I think, to see you know Tendulkar on on social media has, has thanked him, Bopana as well. This is just a great feel good story. Yeah, and um, I saw him play uh, at the Davis Cup match last February against Denmark here. Um, just outside Copenhagen in Hillerod and I couldn't really understand where his, why his ranking was where it was it was very low but he really played um, some fantastic tennis against Holger Rune and I said to Alina at the time that he's one to watch and we've been following his results ever since and he, he really can play tennis and we talked to Bopano and he said a lot of it is down to not getting the funding because there are so many talented players. You look at kind of Yuki Bamri, who obviously had incredible junior success when it relies more on your potential talent ability than just your your physical ability and access to training, I would argue. Um, and he obviously started to get some of that after that. Like, I think he has an ASIC sponsor now. There's much many more sponsors coming and there's some real momentum behind him and he'll be pushing very close to his career high ranking. So it's great to see. And for anybody... Um, hopefully Kim will be listening, but a bit of trivia that she might like. Um, is the first Indian man to beat a seeded player at a Grand Slam since Ramesh Krishan defeated top seed Mats Wallander um, wow. in Australia in 1989. So it, it's not the top seed he took out, it's the 31st seed, but um, it's still a fantastic result. Yeah. And I mean, if anyone's going to be playing... F- very freely just swinging in the next round i mean he's got nothing to lose everything to gain and um a lot of support well looking back on day two the big the big match that we we need to discuss now is caroline garcia versus naomi osaka proper round one popcorn match in the ladies singles competition um garcia came out uh you know with the victory it was six four seven six and what did you what did you make of this because you know i was looking at collector set predictions and a lot of people had Naomi Osaka delivering the upset against Caroline Garcia I will add not 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 us but, no, no, um, no no never us <laughs> no no we're, we're too we're too good for that but um yeah what did you I mean first of all what did you make of of Caroline Garcia's performance um against Osaka I mean it was clear from the off when you saw just how well she was serving that she was going to be tough to break and she really did step up step up her game um she loves playing on the big stage and it's kind of the worst draw. I was thinking when I saw this, the worst possible draw for Naomi because she doesn't get time on the ball and Garcia can just take all that time away from you, whether it's on the serve or whether it's on the ground strokes. She won't be intimidated by a fast ball from Osaka and that was the case really. Um, I saw some great sort of analysis from um, Andrea Petkovic who kind of said that the thing that you miss when you return after an injury layoff is that hand-eye coordination and Naomi really did struggle on return. And she said that she hasn't really got her eye into the return yet. Um, and that's something that does come a little bit later as you come back. Because, I mean, it's very tough playing such a great server, especially. But if you look at some of the the stats from that match, um, she didn't generate one break point in that entire match, which is obviously very unlike Naomi Osaka. And she won just 15% of receiving points 
Um, she did a great job on her own serve, but if you're not making those opportunities on return uh, and you're not picking it right, then it's going to be very tough for you to get past a player like Garcia. But positive signs, nevertheless, in terms of what she can do, but it certainly isn't the fairy tale return that she was hoping mm. for. Yeah, it's been interesting talking around kind of comebacks. It feels like there's been a lot of comebacks at the Australian Open to, you know, mixed success. For example, Raducanu, it looks like it's that, that was, that, that's gone well. Um, bit of a different as, draw, though. But a fairness. bit of a different draw, exactly. But, I'd um, take Shelby Rogers over Caroline <laughs> Garcia any day. Definitely. And, and the tennis that Garcia played, I mean, I almost want to talk already maybe about a, a kind of a... I don't even want to say Grand Slam contender, but honestly, at times, it did feel like the Garcia of old. I mean, she did 34 winners, 13 aces. I do genuinely think it was flawless at times, and I can't remember too many tennis matches. I think she, um, you know, has played has played a more consistent and, and better performance in, and I think that is credit to how well Osaka came onto the court after, you know, so many months out. Um, and the level that she brought, that Garcia, she had to be on the top of her game um, in order to come out with a victory. Yeah, she did. Um, and if she had kind of dipped a little bit or made a few more unforced errors, then I think it could have been a bit different. I think Naomi did have more unforced errors in that match, which does make it difficult, um, especially when someone's playing that well. But that's the thing with Garcia. I mean, if the serve is working, then mm. she's very hard to beat. Um, but she does have these patches that we see in matches. I think I said previously that she's almost got a kind of talk about this with Daniela Henchkova as well she always had one fantastic set in her each match but do you have two is the question and in this one she did have two but if if she hadn't taken that tie break you'd have to think that that's the exact sort of match that Garcia when she's on an off day would lose to someone like Osaka so um when she gets it done and she's straight through no thinking just hitting then I think she does a fantastic job on a tennis court well, the highest seed uh, from the ladies' draw that did crash out was uh, Wimbledon champion Marketa von Drusova, who lost to Diana Yastremska. Bit of an odd scoreline, this. 6-1, 6-2. I was not expecting this. Um, was uh, von Drusova injured? Was she just not at the races? Did did Yastremska just pull out a 10 out of 10 performance? I was I was very surprised by this result. Yeah, and, and so was I because we've seen Von Drusova play some amazing tennis, yeah. um, especially for her country. Um, and I mean, last year at Wimbledon, I mean, she was so assured in how she was playing and it doesn't really feel like this is a result that makes sense. But mm. if you do look at the fact that Yastremska has come through qualifying... Um, and I do really think that she was fired up for it. And she's someone who, you know, she has been much, much higher in the rankings previously. Um, she has won titles on the tour before. And she did have that dip in form and a uh, period where she was unable to play. Um, but if you look at the stats for this, it doesn't look like um, Von Drusova played well at all. And I mean, if you look at her, she won 40, uh, 44% of service points. Uh, on her first serve, which is not good, she only hit five winners and 19 unforced errors. And with those sort of stats, it doesn't really matter too much what your opponent is doing. Um, I mean, you're not going to get it done. Um, and you have to think from a Grand Slam champion not to be able to raise her level in this sort of situation or ask more questions for someone with such a wonderful skill set she d does have. Um, it is must be disappointing because... She hasn't pushed on in the way that you would have hoped after Wimbledon. And we're in a similar situation that we are so often with individual Grand Slam champions where it's very hard to back it up, um, especially the season and the Grand Slams after you've got that result. Well, that was a very good result um, for Jastrzemska. And, um, you know, another player who, uh, you know, I was had my, had my eye on in, in the draw, in the men's draw, was Felix Oje Aliasim, who didn't have a great season uh, last season, got up against Dominic Team. You know, these are ultimately two players finding form. And I was just fascinated in terms of like who was going to come through this because I felt like both both were going to offer chances and not really take it fully by the horns. And I feel like we got that um, because it ultimately went down to the, you know, a fifth set. And, and Oje Aliasim at the end just said, he just felt relief once he, he won that won that match. And uh, I can't disagree with him. But at the same time, I feel a bit sad for Dominic Team because I feel like he's always embroiled in these epic five-set round one matches at Grand Slams and always comes out as the loser. It's a tough one for him and another tough loss for him. Um, I mean, they are sort of the, the two best players at 
trying not to get take their chances at the moment. <laughs> yes, um, both really need a win, and it almost felt like you wanted to fast forward and just have a one set mm. shootout to avoid some of the pain of what might be coming beforehand. But um, I mean, there were flashes of brilliance from team in that match, and for Felix, it's great that he got through it again. I mean, the sad thing mm. about it is that both players really are looking for a win. And when you play yeah. for kind of close to five hours, it's going to make getting another win even less likely at that point. So it takes it out of you. A few years ago, this match just would not be in this category of, yeah, I was watching it and I just I almost felt a little bit sad because we had two players finding form with Dominic team. I don't even know if that form is ever going to return. I'm obviously a little bit more confident with... Ogier Ali Asim, but um, yeah, I feel I hope team still gets his moment at a future grandstand because he's had some very painful losses um, over um, over the last year or so at this level um, and at this stage as well. I mean, another painful loss, uh, Chris. We very ne- quickly need to talk about before we go to a break is Andy Murray versus Thomas Echeverry. Now, a lot of people, uh, including myself, were maybe getting a bit too ahead of ourselves and thinking, ooh, Andy Murray, Gal Monfils, round two. Ooh, Andy was Murray, that, who, Novak who Djokovic, round that, three. Mm, I mean, maybe that was just solely you. me. Might yeah. have been, yeah. Um, Echeverry had, <laughs> he had completely uh, a different set of plans uh, on the agenda because he wiped the floor with Andy Murray. It was one of Murray's ugliest performances, I would say, in a Grand Slam, 6-4, 6-2, 6-2. You know, Murray walked off. He did a long extended wave. He looked at all of the uh, the sides of the court and it just inevitably broke broke the conversation of, of retirement. And I can't argue with it after the display that he put on the tennis court. Yeah, I think he's been talking a lot about um, whether he's happy on the court. Um, and whether he's enjoying his tennis. And he said at the end of the last season, he wasn't really. Um, he still thinks he's playing well on the practice court, uh, but he's, he was very frustrated that he's not able to do it, you know, on the court and in these big matches. And it's just such a strange thing watching Andy Murray not fired up and, and not giving it everything, especially after last year's performance where he left everything on the court. Yeah, it's, especially at the Australian Open where he's had repeated, you know, success, you know, getting to finals. We just aren't accustomed to this type of Andy Murray performance in without round the one. fight, especially without the fight. Like Andy Murray is kind of such an inspiration to so many for the way that he fights and the way that he kind of toughs out mm. these matches um, to, and triumph against adversity. And it just feels like maybe at this point he might be running out of steam a little bit. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, he's done inc- an incredible thing coming back from his hip surgery. I mean, people thought that he'd retired, that we'd never see him on a court again. And we've had, what is it, nearly five more years of Andy Murray playing tennis, which is yeah. such a joy for fans and supporters of him. Um, but I think, you know, it's very tough when you aren't and you haven't got back to where you were or where you'd like to be, you know, in the seeds, in contention. Um, and I think here it was just, just wasn't able to bring it. And the only time I've seen a performance like this was, you know, in, in 2020 at the French Open, where he went out to Stan Wawrinka, one, three and two. Um, I mean, I think he was wearing like running leggings that day and he didn't do any running. He just really wasn't wasn't really um, like present at that match. He didn't really show up. So it's always worrying when you see that, because if Murray had lost, you know, in an epic five set to Echeverry, we'd say like next time, great draw. Here we go. Um, but clearly he is thinking about whether the balance and the payoff and the, the value exchange is enough. You know, he could be at home with his family. He could hang up his racket and he could have a very fulfilled life there. And if he isn't feeling fulfilled in the tennis court, then you're going to weigh up whether that's the right decision for you or not. And hopefully, I think we're all hoping, right, Joel, that we see him at Wimbledon. He sticks it out for the grass court season and then we're able to send him off in a proper way if that's what he wants or keep playing until you're 40. Either way, we'll take it. Either either way, yes. I mean, yeah, it didn't it didn't offer me, uh, you know, much o- o- optimism. That the the way you know, he stepped out on court and he was just spraying error after error. Thomas Echeverry is a very tough opponent. You know, they've had some very attritional battles in the past. But as I say, that that fight and that character and that grit and determination that we have become so accustomed to you know, with Andy Murray, particularly in this arena, in, in Grand Slams, in best of five set format, it wasn't there. And I think that's what is the most, you know, worrying sign, because if that happens, 
he's not happy with himself. And when he's not happy with himself, he might be thinking about hanging up his racket. And we'll have to wait and see what, what comes. He could turn it around, you, you know, come, you know, the, the tour events, you know, outside of the Grand Sams. He's got time to think, to go back uh, and lick his wounds. But um, yeah, very, very tough uh, defeat. So um, yeah, a little bit disappointing from Murray. Um, another player, Vavrinka, uh, lost to Manorino in five sets. We had Kekmanovic come through in four sets. Yeah, some some good some good players coming through uh, despite some tests. Very quickly, Chris Coco Goff came through in very easy fashion in her match against Schmiedlever on the Rod Laver Arena, opening up six three six love. I think she's going to be champion in in two weeks' time. I think it's just very exciting that we, as I say, we've got Pagula, Schwiontek, Goff. Sabalenka just all having very, very, very solid opening rounds. What did you make of the golf performance? I mean, what a what a fantastic result after winning the US Open. I think we forget that's the last slam that we've had because it kind of seems like it was a little little time ago now. Um, and she put in such a great performance, super confident. She's changed up her serve. She's been working with Andy Roddick in the off season, and again, I mean, she's just improving and improving. And she's improving that forehand is being struck even better. And she's wearing an outfit that is so reminiscent of Serena Williams. Um, it was actually a year when Serena didn't win the title, though. So a lot of people are making comparisons. But I'm like, maybe you should have picked a different fit. You know, one <laughs> of the ones from when she won. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm fascinated to see Coco go deep in the slam again um, and see if this like new mentality mm. is here to stay. And that maybe she can do something that Von Drusseva obviously couldn't, which is, you know, really back up your performance and your results and cement her spot maybe you know break into the top two i think that would be um a real story possible. and it's, it's possible. possible it's one to watch well we shall see but we're going to take a quick break now do join us in the second half where we'll be taking a look back on all the action from day one at melbourne park having a look at day four plus revealing our collector set player pick predictions so do not go anywhere I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast. And now we're going to move on to day one, Chris, the historic Sunday start. As so I say, long ago still... now, isn't it? I can't, <laughs> so can't remember ago. it. We can't remember it. We still got a late finish, but we did get some very intriguing, uh, you know, matchups. We had Yannick Sinner come through in straight sets against Botic van der Zanschelp. Zachary, straight set, 6-4, uh, Krachikova coming through in three sets. One match I want to talk about, though, is Novak Djokovic, the top seed against a qualifier. He was pushed all the way. I think it was the longest ever first-round Grand Slam match he has ever had against Prismic of Croatia. He won in four sets, 6-2, 6-7, 6-3, 6-4. He did admit that he was feeling under the weather, but he didn't want to take that away from uh, the teenager because um, he put on a he put on a show. He put on a fantastic performance. And uh, yeah, Djokovic, he was, as I say, that was a very stern test first up. Yeah, and a, a real surprise package. I think, again, I mean, it shows, and you can rate this back to the Andy Murray point, that anyone can play such incredible tennis. I mean, obviously, Thomas Martin Echeverry is someone who was seeded, but this player is not seeded at all. This is a qualifier, um, you know, who's very much an unheard of sort of talent, aged, I mean, 18 on the tour and ranked, you know, just inside the world's top 200. 
and Djokovic described it as I felt like I was playing myself in a mirror. I mean, that's deeply that's like concerning. The, that's the highest compliment I think you can ever get. Yeah, I mean, it probably is. I mean, if you just said it was just, uh, just like looking in a mirror, you might be like, well, I mean, that's a bit of an odd one. But playing <laughs> like him, I mean, it did look like that if you were watching um, them go toe to toe. And we do always say Djokovic loves to lose a set in the early rounds. We've seen it before. We've seen it with Draper. Mm. We've seen it with, uh, I think, Carl Edmonds taking a set off him. I think it was another American has t- uh, taken a set off him. Um, and I think that but was he a... wouldn't he wouldn't he wouldn't have liked though the fact that round one went four hours and one minute. I know I know we we talk about it as I say kind of dropping a, a token set, but already that that length of of time on the on the tennis court that is uh, that's not as even regardless of of who you are that's not a situation you want to be in, especially if you're under the weather. Yes, especially if you're under the weather or especially if you're Sabalenka and, and playing after that match. Um, <laughs> but no, I think you don't want it to go too long. I think the only positive from that would be that he'll know how his wrist is after that. Mm. And clearly, I think it's it's doing okay um, if you're able to get through that sort of a match. But he'll be hoping that he'll have some shorter ones coming up. Um, but I think we've seen it so many times. I'm not concerned about Djokovic's level because we've seen him improve and improve and improve as the tournament goes on to almost kind of defeat like the world number two um, in straight sets in the end. So I think it's, it's a less than ideal start. But I mean, have, if you followed Djokovic's career, you'll know that anything like this, he can rebound from. Um, and it seems like as he gets older, he finds it even easier to rebound from it. But I would say kind of on a slightly different note, I mean, it was the first match we saw from Yannick Sinner this year. What did you make of that? Yeah, I think it was impressive given the caliber of opponent um, that he was up against in in Van der Zandschulp, who's gone who's gone deep before, um, you know, at a Grand Slam. But um, I think you know to get the job done in in straight sets as a top eight seed with expectation, I think that was impressive. Given, as I say, I think the general theme looking at the the top seeds in the men's draw is that. It's not been easy, um, you know, for the for the favourites. Uh, it's been really testing at times, and I do wonder if if the the slowness of the courts, the, the, balls, the balls, yeah, whether it's a le- whether whether it is a leveler, and and the and these players who you know you you might not have never heard of them, and you might think there's a massive gap between them. I wonder if these conditions and all this thing is coming into play and is actually closing the gap, and you're having these long rallies, and it's it's bringing these opponents closer to. The, the top ranked guy so from that perspective I think Yannick Sinner will be, be very happy that he was able to get it you know job done two and a half hours on the court off the court especially I think given you know I, I saw you know watched a bit of Carlos Alcaraz against Richard Gasquet I think there was a little bit of rust there in that first set Gasquet could have very easily taken that opening set tie break and I, I would say with Yannick Sinner I didn't see as much as much rust I think given it was his um, you know his opening match of the season competitive match of the season so maybe my prediction of Sinner isn't looking quite so idiotic um <laughs> as as, we, as Ben Rothenberg referred to it uh on the podcast when I spoke to him but maybe that's got something to do with some of the retirements we've seen we've seen quite a few mm. high profile retirements the Medvedev match ended in retirement Rayanich you know after he did go up, up a set and then they oh, went to that one was set so, all, I was so reti- sad that was I was, gutting, I was, watch- I was watching that and I'm like uh, I know, I know. Raonic is like a gust of wind. I feel could could injure him or, or blow him over at the moment. But he was playing such good tennis um, against Diminor, really causing him, uh, you know, problems. But at the same time, that in, in that second set, I was watching it. He he just looked gassed. He just looked out of energy. He just looked a little bit uncomfortable. And I was like, there is absolutely no way he is going to be able to to you know to keep up with the conditioning of someone like a, a Dominor, regardless of the obvious ability that he has in his hands i mean is this the marathon tournament um where it's, it's not it's not a sprint it certainly seems like it's going to take a long yeah. time and you've got to be prepared for that to me it's almost taking it's already taking too long like i'm worried that these matches the the amount that's being expended i mean a guy's just vomited on the on the you know, on the tennis court, Jack Draper, I'm a little bit worried in terms of is this going to be the tournament where we're going to be talking about pushing health and conditioning like further than it's, than it's ever been before, maybe. I mean, I'm, I've, I've been hearing that the temperatures are going to get even hotter, um, you know, towards the end of this week as well. So it's not going to get any easier, I don't think. 
Well, I mean, this is the sort of thing, will this be the straw that breaks the camel's back when yeah. it comes to the balls, when it comes to the speed of the courts, when it comes to um, some of the heat rules they might have as well, because it's almost the perfect storm when it comes to these balls getting very fluffed up and getting very heavy. I mean, I think I saw um, Mike Dixon refer to it as like it's like grapefruits they're playing with which i mm. thought was a, a fantastic sort of description because it does make you realize that that just how much difference there is between the balls they play in these tournaments and i mean it's very sad when you see players have to retire we're not sure it's connected i mean obviously last year's semi-finalist magdalene Nett had to pull out against Kaunan Wozniacki, which is um a really big shame because that could have been a very good contest if they're both able to play at their highest level um but I mean, are you okay after that result, Joel? I know that you love GoatNet, but... <laughs> I know, I, I, just, yeah, I did have to adjust to it. But yeah, nice to see Caroline Wozniacki put her victory. Um, you know, I say Rublev and Fritz, they had to come through very tight fight They made it look battles. difficult, didn't they? It just, yeah. And I don't know if it's that if it's them. It, it is, you know, it is down to them a little bit. But I, I do feel like the there's, there's something else at play here, potentially. Yeah, there's definitely something. Um, there's something at work because... When you look at like the fact that I mean, obviously, um, Seabooth Wild has had like some some good results at Slams. Um, you know, he did have that kind of stunning upset with Medvedev, so he does like the big stage. Mm. Um, so I, I guess maybe people who see that result might be very very surprised by it um, against Rublev. But at the same time, you know, he he does like to play in these matches, and you can see how that could happen. Um, and, but you think with Fritz, though, I mean, come on, Taylor Fritz. You've got to start winning some of these matches a bit easier because yeah. he always has a good draw, like at last year's Diaz US Open. He has Yeah, like that's, that to me just shouldn't be lasting more than four hours. But um, yeah, they. I mean, they came through and uh, yeah. I mean, one country actually that did very well. I saw Italy, six out of six in the men's singles. And uh, Arnaldi uh, won. I think he's going to be a very dangerous player in, in the second round. Timofeeva as well in in the ladies competition uh, she could be you know I'm, I'm quite interested she had a very easy win over Elise Cornet the wild card so um yeah some certainly some what interesting about Linda results. we haven't mentioned Linda have well, we <laughs> we hang on is this Linda Fruvertova or Linda Noskova Fruvertova your pick well yes <laughs> I'm still actually not sure who I meant did I mean Linda Fruvertova or did I mean Brenda Fruvertova or, Brenda. or did or- I mean both or did I mean Linda Noskova? Some of our listeners did think you meant Brenda. Um, and so I think m- may- maybe that can be forgiven um, <laughs> because Brenda did do a little bit better in the sense that she won her first round and will play against Sabalenka in the next round. Mm. So I will give you slight a nod there. It was the wrong Fravertiva. It was the wrong. Still, <laughs> a Fravertivist in the draw. Fruvertiva is still in the draw. Got Sabalenka next. Um, yeah, little fact about Fruvertiva, actually. Her and Corneva, um, they both won in round one. First time two 16-year-olds, Chris, have won in a women's singles round of 128 at a Grand Slam since Wimbledon 2007. I know you're a massive WTA aficionado. Can you tell me who those two 16-year-olds were at Wimbledon 2007? Um, who, oh who won through to round 2007. two. Round two. Okay, so they don't have to go on too long a run. Um, oh, God, is it going to be someone super random like Cecil Karatancheva? Um, <laughs> I have that no idea. That feels too random. Well, the answer is okay. there's one actually, a player actually we've just mentioned, Caroline Wozniacki and oh, wow. Tamira Pashek. So yeah, Pashek, there you go. She's a... She was a, she could really slap the ball um, from Austria. She really was a talent. Quarterfinal at the French Open, I believe. Um, mm. I think she's still playing. So, but on the slightly lower level of the tour, she played in a Fed Cup match recently. So, well, there you go. Well, I mean, Fun one teenager, one other teenager who I'm very excited to see uh, in day four uh, is Mira Andreeva, who has Ons Jabeur. First up on Rod Laver Arena. That is our, our night time uh, in the UK tonight. A lot of people have this one on upset alert. How are you feeling about no, that? No, and no. How, are you, how are you feeling about the rest of the, the schedule on day four? I am willing with all my might on to, to defeat Andreva because I believe she was in your predictions. Here we go. Both yes. of you and Kim had her in the yes. quarterfinals. So I'm, oh, very I see. Single, I'm very single-minded here that... Ons is going to straight sets this result. 
Andreva has said that she, Ons is one of her idols and she wants to play tennis like Ons. She compares her game to that of Ons. Um, but for me, even though Ons has only played one match this year and it was the first round, I thought she looked pretty good. So I'm predicting a straight sets result there. Um, I think that there could be some good matches though. Um, I think there aren't necessarily like the firework. We had some better first round matches, if I'm honest, with some of the draws did lend itself to some some pretty crazy matches. And um, if you're looking at this, you'd have to say that, you know, the Djokovic Popperin is going to be very entertaining. And Arnaldi Diminar is like playing a version of yourself. Um, so they probably, I'd say the men's matches have my attention. And then if I'm looking at some of the outside courts, we do have some some great matches like Monfils versus Echeverri. I mean, we talked about both of um, of them. I think that's a great ticket. I think that would be a really great contest and hopefully a bit more, um, a bit closer than um, uh, Echeverri's first round match. But are you looking in the same places as me or is there, I think is there so. a teenager somewhere else you're watching? I think so. I mean, I'm also curious about Timothy Leila Fernandez. You like. Oh, yeah, Leila Fernandez. Fernandez against, uh, you know, Alicia Parks. You've got Fritz versus Gaston as well. I think that could Sitsa be quite pass. entertaining. You, what, oh, Sitsa Pass, we have to mention, did you see the over-the-net shot? Oh, yes, yes, It was amazing. And mm. everyone was saying, oh, are you allowed to do that? Well, it was because... Um, but there was so much backspin, wasn't there? Yes, that it, that it, it went, went onto over. the other side, yeah. and then you think that's the end of the highlight reel, and then he no, leaned was... over, <laughs> spun around, just managed to keep his balance. And I mean, people are saying shot of the year, shot of the tournament, and mm. anyone who hasn't seen it, I mean, it is. That's why you do your yoga. Hang on, so... I thought he was injured. I thought he was injured. Maybe into something else, but he made that look very easy. And <laughs> I mean, based on the fact that he's playing against Jordan Thompson, that's going to be quite interesting because he's an unknown quantity really in terms of his ability at the moment but his shot making well that's there to stay based on the highlights reel before we finish up this episode we're going to move on to collector set and we're going to be unveiling joel and chris's player pick predictions in our last episode we unveiled our six players they were grigor dimitrov jack draper Alex de Menor, Naomi Osaka, Emma Raducanu, and Alina Svitolina. First of all, thank you everyone who has entered. We actually think it's a record number of entrants into this year's collector set. That's so, not good. There's no way that we're going to do well. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not at all. Um, well, we are now going to unveil Joel and Chris's player pick predictions Chris, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say the player and we're both, we're going to take it in turns and say what round we think they're going to make. Can I ask you a question first, Joel? Did okay. you stick with your quarter quarterfinalist predictions or did you go a bit rogue? Because I used to do the go a bit rogue and cover my, both bases. Because of the, the Sunday start, I've actually already forgotten, I think. Um, okay. Okay, well, but... we don't know, but we know what you have <laughs> here in front remember. of you. I can't remember. Um, but right, okay, let's go. But let's go for it. Grigor Dimitrov. Fourth round. I've gone fourth round as well. Fantastic prediction, Joel. Jack Draper. I, I start with my guns. I think I have to. I said semi-final. Wow. Okay. Round three. Alex de Menor. This is a big point of contention. You think he's going to get out to Rublev. I think he's making the quarterfinal. Yes, I, I think that. Round four. I've got round four. Okay. Here we go. Naomi Osaka. What did we put? Well, we both put round one, but I, it was very tricky because Kim didn't. Just spoiler alert for when she unveils her predictions. But Kim <laughs> Kim wanted Garcia to win and I wanted Naomi to win. So at least there's a consolation prize for both of us that despite Naomi losing, we do get a point on collector set. Yes. And has this we're, ever happened we're before? We're up on Kim. We're we've up on ne- Kim. We've never on. had a point before we've announced them. Mm. So, I mean, we'll take that. Well, okay. What about the next player? Emma Raducanu. Um... I went fourth round. Ooh, I've got round two. I've got her going out in her next match. Oh, wow. I think you were thinking Chris Dea would be playing mm, against her, maybe. Yeah, I, I did. Mm, yeah. Okay, I'm not sure about that one. And finally, Alina Svitolina. Well, we haven't talked about her yet, but I still have her to win. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, just li- I'm just looking at this on the script. I actually thought that was a typo. No, 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 no. I've put her to win on everything. So it's on our wow. socials. I've committed to it. I've said... Okay. I'm going to stand by my guns. What did you go for? I went very safe and I just said round four. So losing to ego, is that? Yeah. Probably. There's a lot of, I think just generally seeing everyone's responses, a lot of round four 
a lot of round four picks for a lot of these players. Um, so it'll be quite interesting, I think, when we get to that middle stage. Who Who is there and who is not? Fact, Joel, you've not predicted anyone to reach a quarterfinal out of that lot. Mm. Out of Dimitrov, Draper, Dimonar, Radikhan and Svetlina. Oh, that zero doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound mm. right, does it? Well, it doesn't sound right. Out by, week, by the end of week one. Uh, well... Well, we're going to leave it there, listeners. Um, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come over the next couple of weeks from the Australian Open. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Tennis Weekly Pod. Purchase Tennis Weekly merch at etsy.com slash shop slash Tennis Weekly Podcast. You can email the show tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website tennisweekly.co.uk. And we are going to be back on Thursday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our round two AO catch up. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.